How are we doing? Today is our sixth week in our study of the book of Mark, and we are still in chapter one because God's word is so rich and it is so good. So far in chapter one, we've seen that before Jesus went public with his ministry, the Lord sent John the Baptist to prepare the way before him. John did this by preaching the need for repentance and baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And despite Jesus being sinless with no need for repentance, he humbly and willingly submitted himself in baptism as an example for us. And it was at that very moment that we saw the heavens being torn open and all three persons of the Godhead in action. The Holy Spirit came down from heaven to rest upon Jesus. The Father spoke from heaven, identifying and commissioning His Son for service. And Jesus, as the Son, humbled Himself in baptism. It was an absolutely incredible moment in history. And right after this amazing blessing came the attack from the enemy, where Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness. But Satan lost this epic battle because he was no match for the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Next, Jesus began to preach that the kingdom of God is at hand and that you and I are to repent and believe. He then speaks two very powerful and convicting words to his soon-to-be disciples. Follow me. And these two words epitomize what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Last week, we unpacked these words as we explored what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. And the one thing that's crystal clear from the Word of God is that to follow Him will cost us everything. Following Him means total and complete surrender to Him, to His plans, to His purpose, and for His glory. But I can assure you that this cost is more than worth it. So to pay this cost will require us to trust His authority. We have got to trust his authority. And that's what we're going to look at today. Turn with me to Mark chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 21 through 28 today. You don't have a Bible. We've got some here on the shelf. You're welcome to borrow. Or you can follow along on the screen. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 21. Then they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. So what we see throughout this text this morning is that Jesus has the absolute and complete authority to say and do everything that his Father sent him to do. And if you and I are going to follow him, we have got to understand his authority. And ultimately, we will have to completely trust his authority. 
We're going to look at Jesus' authority by studying what he said and what he did because he clearly demonstrated his authority through both his words and his actions. So let's first explore the authority of Jesus through his word. How you doing, AJ? I just see you looking right at me, man. That's so cool to see you today. You and your wife. Praise the Lord. Couldn't help myself. <laughs> AJ was one that I discipled. Uh, it was a few years ago now, right? Yeah, we had quite a journey together. So, so good to see you. You're like right in my line of sight. So. <laughs> so let's explore the authority of Jesus through his word. In the first two verses of our text today, Mark says this, Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So let's make sure that we all understand what's going on here. Jesus and the disciples that he had called to follow him. You might remember from last week, Jesus called his first four disciples. He came up upon Simon, right, and Andrew. Simon is Peter. And he said, hey, come follow me. So they left their nets to follow him. He did the same thing with James and John. So what you've got going on here is Jesus and all four of his first disciples that he called are all going in together to the synagogue in the city of Capernaum. Now, Capernaum was a prosperous fishing village in the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. So on the left-hand side of what you see here is a modern-day picture of Israel. You've got Lebanon to the north, Egypt to the southwest, Saudi Arabia to the east. This kind of orients you what part of the world that we're looking at here. That red box, that is a blow-up, or the the red box here, this is a blow-up of it on the right-hand side. Now, while this on the left is modern-day Israel, on the right is This is back when Jesus walked the earth. This is a map of ancient Galilee. So Capernaum is right here on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as Lake Tiberias. And the Galilee, if you can see it, it's kind of that darker shade. That is the region of country that we're talking about. All those cities that are within there are all those places that Jesus spent a lot of time doing his ministry. So I thought it was important as we begin to dive into his word that you guys could see what region of the country are we talking about. And so hopefully this gives you a good visual of where this is. So Jesus and his disciples, they go to the local synagogue in the city of Capernaum, and Jesus begins to teach. Now the synagogue is where the Jewish people They would gather to read the scriptures and they would worship. You could think of it as kind of like the local church today where people gather to hear the word of the Lord and to worship. Now, Mark does not dive into exactly what Jesus was teaching. But more than likely, based on what we've already studied from verses 14 through 15, we can assume that what Jesus was teaching was probably something along the lines of the kingdom of God is at hand and that we are to repent and believe. Whatever it was, Jesus taught with real authority. And Mark points out that everyone who heard him were astonished. Now, the Greek word that's used here is explaso, and it means to be amazed, to be shocked, to be astonished, to be struck out of oneself with awe and wonder. And in today's lingo, you might say is their minds were blown. Jesus blew their minds. But what was so special about Jesus' teaching that he would blow people's minds? It was because he taught with real authority. The Greek word for authority is exousia. I just love saying that. It took me a while to get it. Exousia. Okay? That is the word for authority. 
And it meant that Jesus' teaching was full of power, of dominion, of strength, of force, of intensity. He taught directly with absolute power, conviction, and clarity. And he did this with complete confidence. And all those who heard him could only respond in amazement. Mark makes the point in verse 22 to distinguish Jesus' teaching from that of the scribes. He makes a point to make the difference. And the scribes, you see, they were teachers of the religious law back then, and their teaching was very different than that of Jesus. Over the centuries, from the time of the prophet Ezra to the time of Jesus, the scribes' teaching became less focused on the Scripture itself and more focused on what rabbis had said about the Scripture. Their so-called authority was based on what others said about the Scriptures versus what the Scriptures actually said. Regardless of what Jesus taught, he taught with real authority through the power of the Holy Spirit. You and I have to understand that teaching that comes from real authority has nothing to do with how loud the teacher is or how charismatic the teacher is. There are a ton of loud and charismatic teachers in the world today, but that has nothing to do with real authority. There are far too many silver-tongued teachers who claim to have authority but are nothing more than wolves in sheep's clothing. They are simply deceivers, and the Bible warns us that there will be more and more of them as we get closer to the end. Which means that you and I must have the discernment and wisdom from the Holy Spirit to recognize truth from deception. And the way that you do that is by having a deep, rich, intimate and personal relationship with jesus that feasts on every word that is written in the bible every word now the question that you and i have to really ask ourselves is how do we receive the word of god do we receive it with the full authority that god intends for it to have in our lives because with real authority comes real obedience we cannot claim the authority of the word of god in our lives if we are not submitting to that authority in our obedience. This was the life that Jesus lived from his birth all the way to his death. He was fully submitted to the authority of his Father in heaven. Not only could you hear the authority in his words, you could see the authority in his actions because both his words and his actions demonstrated his authority. And for you and I to follow him, we are going to have to trust his authority. So now that we understand that Jesus taught with absolute authority by the perfect power of the Holy Spirit, we can now understand why the next two verses happen. Let's see this. Here's what Mark tells us. He says, Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So you have Jesus teaching in the synagogue and everyone there is in complete amazement. Everyone's having their minds blown as he's teaching. And then out of nowhere, a man possessed by a demon cries out to Jesus. He says, leave us alone. What have we to do with you? This is interesting because we know by the use of us and we that he was not alone. There was apparently many demons within this man. And this demon was telling Jesus, hey, mind your own business. Leave us alone. Now, I'm pretty sure Jesus was minding his own business. But the authority of the Son of God demands our attention, even that of evil. 
Because even the demons understood the authority of Jesus. They know Jesus has the authority to interfere with them and ultimately to destroy them. It's interesting that this man was in the synagogue at all. How long had he been there? Was he a regular attender? Why would the demons lead him to the synagogue? We don't know the answers to those questions, but those are interesting things to ask, aren't they? But what we can conclude is that these evil spirits can clearly hide in plain sight, even within the church. Let that one sink in for a minute. They can hide even within the church. I wonder if they can hide within the church because there are so many churches that don't make Jesus their main focus. They don't preach in the power of the Holy Spirit, nor are they fully submitted to his authority. Maybe that's the reason. And perhaps that's why this demon-infested man was there in that synagogue that day. But notice what happens when evil is confronted with the authority and holiness of Jesus in his teachings. These demons could no longer stay hidden in the man any longer. They explode in rage and fear in response to the truth of Jesus. Notice what the demon said to Jesus at the end of verse 24. He says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Isn't it amazing and ironic that even the the demons can affirm who Jesus really is? But so many people who heard him speak and saw his miracles denied who he was. And that still happens today. There are people in the church today, just like this demon, who can tell you who Jesus is, yet they have no real relationship with him and do not truly trust his authority. And that is a very dangerous place to be. It is extremely dangerous. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 22, Jesus makes it clear that there are unfortunately many who will recognize who Jesus is and can even do amazing things in his name and yet not have any relationship with him at all. Here's what he says. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you you evildoers. Being able to recognize who Jesus is does not mean anything. Even the demons can do that. It's entirely possible to believe in Jesus and still be unwilling to follow him but recognition without full submission it means nothing for us to truly trust in his authority there must be both a recognition and a submission to his authority that is the will of god for our lives to actually live out our faith under his authority and if we're not doing that then what we believe is really no different than what the demons believe. And we know that demons will not inherit the kingdom of God. Continuing in our text today, in verse 25, Jesus confronts these demons in this man by saying this. He says, be quiet and come out of him. Now, first I want you to notice that Jesus did not sit here and have a conversation with this demon. Notice also that there was no fancy exorcism here There was no drama, no hype, no show, no sensationalizing, nothing. Big difference in what you might see in the world today. Just saying. 
He simply said, be quiet and come out of him. He was very direct and to the point. We need to be so discerning today because there's so much deception today. Much of what we hear and much of what we see isn't at all what it seems. Always ask the question, how does this align with God's word? How does it align with God's word? Because that's the only authority that matters. Now, the Greek word for be quiet is phomaho. It's phomaho. It means to close the mouth with a muzzle. Or you could say it this way. Jesus just told these demons to shut up. That's what he said. And this was a command. And there was no option of disobeying. Now, what I found very interesting in my study here is that when I looked up this verse in the King James Version, it's actually rendered differently. It doesn't say be quiet. It says hold thy peace. Now, as soon as I saw that, I immediately thought of Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt because that was exactly what he said to the people of Israel just before God parted the Red Sea and delivered them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, hold your peace. You see, the Israelites were panicking. Moses had just led them out of slavery that they had been under for more than 400 years, and it appeared that they had no way to escape, that they were trapped. There appeared to be no way out because they were hemmed in on all sides by mountains. To their front was the Red Sea. To the rear was Pharaoh and the Egyptian army hot on their trail. And so they started whining and complaining, and it was that very moment that Moses tells them, hold your peace. In other words, shut your mouth. Stop your whining. Stop your complaining. You see, this is the same thing Jesus told the demons in our text. Shut your mouth. Put a muzzle on it. Some of us need to hear this today because our mouths can get us in so much trouble. We worry, we stress, we complain, we gossip, we spew all kinds of things from our mouths. And what we really need to do is to hold our peace. And just like God's word says in Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. Be still. Some of us have got to stop our belly aching and start holding our peace. Now, I know that's an entirely different message for an entirely different day. But I don't believe that the Lord had me see the connection between Mark chapter 1 verse 25 and Exodus chapter 14 by verse 14 by accident. I don't believe that was an accident. Someone needed to hear this today. Hold your peace. Hold your peace. And then Jesus says to these demons, come out of him. And it's almost like these demons tried one last ditch effort to try and disobey. And they caused the man that they were possessing to convulse and cry out with a loud voice. But then they had no choice but to submit to Jesus and come out of the man. Because evil is no match for righteousness. Evil is no contest for holiness. Evil cannot withstand the word of God. Light and darkness have nothing in common, just like this demon said. He said, what do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Absolutely nothing, because light always casts out darkness. So what happens? The demons leave because of the authority of Jesus. And everyone who saw it were amazed. Mark says this in verse 27 and 28. He says, Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. 
And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Because that's what the authority of Jesus does. It causes us to be in awe and wonder. But if this awe and wonder doesn't lead to obedience in our lives, then we do not trust his authority no matter how much we say otherwise. So what can we learn from the authority of Jesus? Do we respect it? Or are we constantly challenging it? That's what it comes down to. And by our nature, we have this rebellious streak in us called our sin nature that doesn't want to submit to authority. No, our sin nature wants to dominate our lives. It wants to be the authority in our, in our lives. And so this sin nature will always challenge, always challenge God's authority. And it will come with all kinds of excuses and rationalizations to not submit to his authority. It really just comes down to defiance versus discipline. Defiance versus discipline. To follow Jesus, we will have to trust his authority. And that starts with hearing the will of the Lord for our lives and then obeying it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. So we have to hear the will of the Lord, which comes from the word of God. And then we need to obey what we hear. That is what teaching with authority sounds like. Right there. Could it be that we don't really want to hear what the text in the word of God says because we don't really want to obey it? Most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, just want enough teaching to get by with, but to still be in control of our own lives. But you see, Jesus taught with real authority because our holiness is never up for debate. It's never up for debate. We are to be holy because he is holy. Listen, the gospel is not an opinion. It is absolute truth that demands an absolute response. God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to this earth to save us from our sins. This entire world is corrupted by sin. And it's our sins that will ultimately lead us to spiritual death, where we will spend eternity burning and suffering in hell. That is the fate of all mankind without Jesus. But Jesus willingly and humbly suffered a brutal death on the cross for our sins. He took the punishment that all of us deserve upon himself. There was no way for you and I to be saved without the greatest sacrifice in human history, Jesus. He said from the cross, it is finished. He had fully submitted to his father's authority in taking on the punishment for the sins of the entire world. He then was buried in a tomb. And three days later, he rose up out of that tomb because Jesus has the ultimate authority, even over sin, death, hell, Satan, and all of his demon friends. And that's the good news that saves us if we trust his authority. Now, our hearts naturally push back against authority, and we often try to find a way to reason our way out of it. But our text for today forces us to confront our rebellion head on. Do we trust his authority? Because if we do, then we understand that our holiness is not optional. It's not optional. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, the Apostle Paul, he said this. He said, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You see, the gospel is God's mercy 
on all of mankind. Jesus was our sacrifice for our sins, and our response is to be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to Him. This is the true and proper way for us to worship Him. And then the Apostle Paul tells us exactly how to be a living sacrifice. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, he says, Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in what? In the fear of God. To perfect holiness in our lives, to be holy as He is holy, means we need to have the fear of the Lord. No amens on that one, huh? I taught an entire message series on the fear of the Lord earlier this year because it's a subject that is severely lacking in the church today. But to be prepared for what's coming in this world, we must have the fear of the Lord because it's the fear of the Lord that is what perfects our holiness. Now, what is the fear of the Lord? It is an incredibly deep and rich subject. But the fear of the Lord is simply reverence that results in obedience it's where we hate evil we have nothing to do with it because we do not want to grieve the heart of our father in heaven we have a holy fear that causes us to avoid displeasing him that's what the fear of the lord is it's when we don't want to displease him you you understand what i'm saying you love him so much that you don't want to displease him and that's the fear that you're feeling when you're confronting sin you're like no I'm turning away from that because I know that's going to grieve my father. That is the fear of the Lord. Don't ever mistake the fear of the Lord with the fear of the world. Worldly fear causes us to run away and be scared. Godly fear causes us to run away from evil and to run to God. That's what godly fear is. We run to God. This is the difference between the fear that the demons showed and the fear that you and I as Christ followers must show. The demons' fear causes them to tremble and panic about their future fate that awaits them, burning in the lake of fire for all eternity. You and I as Christ followers are not to have that kind of fear because that is the fear of judgment. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. No, the fear of the Lord causes us to perfect our holiness. It causes us to submit by trusting in His authority. Listen, this is so, so important. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Him. His Father gave Him the name above every name. And at that name, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is no higher authority. Jesus said to the the demon, hold thy peace and come out of him. Because that's what the authority of Jesus does. It silences and it expels all evil. It silences and expels all evil. So, The question for you and I today is, what needs to come out of our lives today that is not honoring God? What needs to come out of our lives today that is not honoring God? I want us all to think about that as I wind this message down and we move into a time of reflection as we take communion together. But before I do that, 
I want to share three practical ways on how we can trust his authority. This is how you can take this message and actually act upon it right here. Number one, trust the authority of the word of God. One of Satan's favorite tactics is to try to undermine God's authority by encouraging us to question God's word. He wants to question what God's word actually says. You don't have to look too far. You can turn to Genesis chapter 3 and watch this play out with how Satan tried to deceive Adam and Eve. Actually, he didn't try. He did. When we don't spend enough time in God's word, we end up drifting from trusting his authority in our lives, and we will often steer right into an over-reliance on our own wisdom or the wisdom of the world. However, if we trust the authority of God's word, we will actually put it into practice in our everyday lives. And this doesn't have to be something we do on our own. If we truly trust his authority, then we have his Holy Spirit living within us to help guide our lives. But to trust his authority, we must trust the authority of the word of God. Number two on how to trust his authority is we must embrace repentance. We've got to embrace repentance. Through our faith in Jesus, we have an entirely new way of thinking and living our lives. We no longer have to rely on our own strength or our own wisdom or even the old ways that we used to live by. The Holy Spirit convicts our hearts and helps us to see that how we used to live wasn't healthy for us and will lead us in the wrong direction. But if we choose to trust Jesus' authority in our lives, we will walk in the direction that he leads, which isn't difficult for us to find. Just follow him. That's how you find it. Just follow him. But to do this, we will need to embrace repentance, where we change our mind, we leave our sins behind, and we choose to follow him. Because repentance is not a one-time event. It is a lifelong, continuous commitment. Embrace repentance. Number three on how to trust his authority is to go all in. There may have been a time in your life when you thought Jesus was just an option or was just simply part of your life. But if you truly want to respect his authority, then it's time for you to go all in. It's time to submit every single area of your life to him. No secrets, no carve-outs, no holding back, all in. Because whatever we hold back simply becomes an idol and robs him of the authority that he deserves in our lives. To truly trust his authority we must be all in with him. Half-hearted following or casual Christianity is not an option. He didn't die for you so you could live your life on your terms. He died for you so you would live a sold-out life for him on his terms. So will you go all in for him today? That's the question. He loves you and he is waiting for you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the authority that you have in our lives. You have complete authority. There is no one higher than you. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And I pray for everyone in this room, Lord, that that day would be before that day happens. I pray that we would submit to you completely, that we'd surrender our entire lives to you. There's nothing greater. That's where the joy really is, is when we walk with you when we follow you. And so, Lord, I pray right now that you would encourage us, Lord, whatever the Holy Spirit has prompted in people's hearts today, Lord, that they would turn and repent and turn to you, the only one who can save them, the only one who can heal them, the only one who can break those strongholds in their lives today. 
Father, we thank you for what you've done for us. We praise you. As we move into communion today, prepare our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. What I'd like for you to do is pull out your bulletin. And on the right-hand side, ushers, if you can prepare the communion while I'm talking about this. If you'll pull out your bulletin on the right-hand side, I wrote down some things for you to consider as we enter into a time of communion. The scripture says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 through 28, it says, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. So we're going to take some time to really examine ourselves before we take the cup. And let's talk about unworthy manner. What does that mean? Because ultimately, we're all unworthy. There's no one worthy enough. But what does he mean by this? What does Paul mean in this text? Unworthy manner. That means you're trying to take communion ritualistically. Or you're taking it with some level of indifference where you're not treating it seriously. Or maybe you have an unrepentant heart where you're holding on to sin rather than letting go and just putting it all out there for him. That's what taking communion with with being in an unholy manner is. That's what it means. So we're to come to the Lord's table not holding on to any sin, because if we do, if we're trying to hold on to sin, we're actually going to dishonor him by taking this. This is why this is serious. This is a serious thing that we're about to do. And so we examine ourselves before we take communion. Now, there's two questions that I'd love for you to consider asking yourself during this time of reflection. I'm going to play a song. We'll dim the lights down. We'll let you just be you and the Lord. And this is, these are the two questions. Number one, do I trust his authority? Do I really trust it? Would I put my life on it? That's the question. Number two, what needs to come out of my life today that is not honoring God? What needs to come out today? Just like Jesus said to that demon, come out of him. What needs to come out of your life today? So those are the two questions. I'm going to play this song, and then we'll take communion together. If you need prayer during this time, you want somebody to pray with you, I'll be right here, okay? broke the bread and blessed the cup You served the sacrifice of love Holy, holy, holy I want to see the glory Of all that you are And all that you've done Jesus the Lamb of God Oh, what a Savior You took the altar And made it a table Nothing can separate What do you bring together Now and forever I will remember How beautiful the mystery 
Christ, my hope alive in me. And worthy, 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 I'm caught up in the glory of all that you are and all that you've done. Jesus, the Lamb of God, oh, what a Savior. You took the altar and made it a table. Nothing can separate what you bring together. So if you'll take the cup, pull that first cellophane, and that'll expose the, the bread there. If you'll take that out. I'd just like for you to hold that up. This represents his body that was broken for you and me. If you'll break that now. His body was broken, bloodied, 
beaten for our sins. Scripture records on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So if you'll just take this now, we'll take this together. Father, we thank you that you gave your life for us. We didn't deserve it, but you did it anyway because of your great love for us. We praise you for who you are. We thank you for that sacrifice. And so your body that was broken is something we remember. And we recognize, Lord, that this is a time for us to reflect and to remember upon what you've done for us and our response to that and how we're to live our lives. So, Father, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll pull the second cover here, it'll expose the, the wine here. Let's hold that up also. Scripture also records in the same way he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink this together. Father, we thank you for the blood that you shed on the cross for our sins, paying the penalty for all of them, past, present, and future. Your blood was poured out for us. And we remember that today. We reflect on that today. And Father, where there's repentance in our life, where there's things that we need to just turn away from, change our mind about, and turn to you, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would prompt us, each of us, that have things that we need to unpack before you, that we need to get right before you today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Scripture also records here, for often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. I can't wait till he comes. So uh, I thank you guys for being here today. And I just want to offer the time that as soon as I dismiss you, if there is someone who has something that you need prayer about, there's a stronghold in your life, there's a struggle that you've had, uh, healing that you need, deliverance that you may have from sin or whatever that it may be, I want to encourage you to step out in faith and come forward so that we can pray with you and pray for you. So I love you guys. And I just ask that... um, You guys consider what you heard today and what that authority means in your own life as we go forward. So let's close in prayer one last time. Father, we love you. You are so good and so faithful. Holy, holy, holy is your name. Father, I pray that no one leaves here today until they're right with you. Anything that needs to be exposed and dealt with, we give you permission right now, Holy Spirit, to move in our hearts to show that to us so that we can make it right before you. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. You are dismissed.